well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you are with us today. Uh, Now, listen, we're not going to be talking a lot about the uh, presidential debate. We'll save that for tomorrow's program, uh, and we'll talk all about uh, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. Hopefully, the Second Amendment does make an appearance during the uh, debate. Uh, Chris Wallace moderating. Uh, He has come out uh, in support of a so-called assault weapons ban, actually praising Joe Biden for his uh, so-called assault weapons ban during the Democratic National Convention. So I don't know. Uh, how big gun control is going to be a focus of the uh, debate, at least in terms of the uh, moderator. I, I had, I, I'm still kind of thinking that uh, Chris Wallace really does want to talk about it. I just don't know that uh, he's going to. But Donald Trump certainly has some openings for uh, Joe Biden. And again, we'll discuss the debate all of, uh, on tomorrow's Bearing Arms Cam and Company. On today's program, we're uh, going to focus on a uh, court decision out of Pennsylvania on Monday. Uh, a, a Pennsylvania Superior Court ruling that the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, the uh, federal law passed in 2005 to prohibit junk lawsuits against firearms manufacturers, yeah, this uh, Superior Court ruled that the law is unconstitutional. Uh-huh. I know. It's a, it's a very weird decision. Uh, this case involves a, a 14-year-old who accidentally shot and killed his friend in 2016, a, a young man named J.R. Gustafson. Gustafson's parents uh, sued the firearms manufacturer as well as the retailer where it was purchased, alleging that the firearm did not have a safety feature preventing it from being fired without the clip, without the, uh, excuse me, without the magazine uh, in the firearm itself. Uh, This, they said, made the gun defective. Yeah. And they uh, sued both the Springfield Armory as well as the Saloom department store, saying that they were liable for their son's death, as opposed to the individual who accidentally shot uh, and killed J.R. Gustafson. Apparently, uh, the uh, 14-year-old believed that uh, once the magazine was out, that, uh, that, that there were no bullets in the magazine, as opposed to one being in the chamber. Yeah, violating the four rules of gun safety, pointing that firearm at uh, something that you know, a human being, and pulling the trigger there, believing that the uh, firearm was unloaded. Well, we all know that uh, you never uh, treat a firearm as if it is unloaded. You never do something stupid like that. Uh, But again, now they're trying to hold the firearms manufacturer as well as the retail seller uh, responsible. Even though the seller didn't sell the gun to a 14-year-old, the manufacturer didn't uh, uh, make the gun uh, for the uh, 14-year-old to uh, get a hold of. So join us to talk about this. Larry Keene. Senior Vice President, General Counsel of the National Shooting Sports Foundation, uh, to talk about what the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act is all about uh, and what might happen next here now that the uh, state court in Pennsylvania uh, has ruled that the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act is unconstitutional. Take a look and a listen. Larry, thank you so much, sir, for joining me on the program today. It's good talking with you. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you, Cam. This is a uh, a crazy decision out of uh, the Pennsylvania Superior Court here, uh, a, a state court ruling that a federal law uh, is unconstitutional, the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act. Have you had a chance to read the Superior Court decision yet? I have uh, been wait, you know, making my way through it. It's uh, some 65 pages long, but I, I have read the pertinent parts, and uh, it is um, 
a troubling decision. I think it is clearly erroneous. It is, I think, worth pointing out that this is yet another lawsuit pursued by the Brady campaign uh, in their endless quest to try to undermine the bipartisan Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act that the anti-gun forces are so desperate to repeal so that they can bring ever more frivolous lawsuits against the industry. I think it's based on what I've read so far, clearly a politically motivated decision. And I think these judges uh, that authored this opinion in the three-judge panel uh, must have skipped the law school class during their first year in law school on the Commerce Clause as well as the Supremacy Clause because they conclude that a um, federal statute that was enacted by Congress under the Commerce Clause powers violates the Tenth Amendment because it preempts state tort law claims, which is well settled in constitutional law under the Supremacy Clause, that Congress can preempt state tort law claims under the Commerce Clause power, which is exactly what they did, and which is why every other appellate court that has been asked to rule uh, that the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act is unconstitutional has rejected those claims. Even Judge Weinstein, federal judge in New York, who you will well remember, mm-hmm. said the law is constitutional. Uh, so normally what we see with activist judges is they say, well, it's constitutional, but then they find uh, some, or concoct some creative way to try to get around the uh, preemption, the immunity that the statute provides by, and we saw that in the Connecticut Supreme Court in the Soto case, concocting some theories. We've seen it more recently in Las Vegas, uh, where the court concluded that modern sporting rifles, when sold and shipped from the factory, are surprisingly and, and unknown to anybody else, uh, machine guns, and so therefore illegal. Uh, you know, something <laughs> ridiculous. So I, I think it's plainly, blatantly wrong. I assume that Springfield Armory will uh, appeal to the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court, uh, and hopefully it gets corrected. I'm very sure that NSSF will be filing an amicus brief in the case, because, again, it's it's just so patently wrong. Well, you know, I mean... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it's interesting. Even in the Brady campaign's news release, uh, and I'm, I'm looking here at CNN, in a news release on Monday... The Brady campaign said the Pennsylvania Superior Court is the first appeals court to hold that the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act is unconstitutional in its entirety. This is a law that's been on the books for 15 years, Larry. I mean, if this is the first court to rule that, doesn't that say something uh, about, uh, you know, the, the fact that the court actually ruled this unconstitutional? 15 years, I don't know how many countless cases uh, Brady and others have filed uh, trying to challenge the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, and this is the first time that they've got a victory? Uh it does tell you something. Either these judges are so incredibly smart that they missed something that 15 years worth of litigation and countless other uh, judges and appellate courts uh, missed, or they just got it badly wrong, and I think they got it badly wrong because it's a politically motivated decision. They don't like the implication of the statute. They don't like the fact that people can't uh, sue 
firearms manufacturers when criminals misuse lawfully sold non-defective firearms. Absolutely. And in this case, you know, we're not talking about a, a criminal necessarily, but we're talking about a, a young man who, 14 years of age, uh, unintentionally shot his friend uh, with a gun that he was mishandling. He had removed the magazine and apparently believed that that meant that the gun was unloaded. Uh, I don't know how uh, this uh, 14-year-old was able to uh, get a hold of the firearm, but I'm still struggling to figure out. I mean, I know that the claim by Brady's is that uh, that the gun's design was defective uh, because it, it should have had some sort of feature that would uh, prevent uh, the firearm from actually being fired without a magazine attached to it. They, they call it a clip uh, without a magazine there. But, you know, I'm, I'm still struggling to figure out how this was the fault of the gun manufacturer or the department store that originally sold that firearm as opposed to, you know, the, the tragedy that it is where somebody made a, a, a very basic mistake uh, and violated some of the basic rules of gun safety and pointing a gun at another person and pulling the trigger, even thinking that it was unloaded. Right. So the Protection of Local Commerce and Arms Act allows traditional chronic liability claims the gun was defectively manufactured, for example, to proceed. Um, and you know, courts could say, well, this case fits within that exception or not. But to say that the entire statute is unconstitutional in its entirety is just um, beyond the pale. And the statute says, and Congress uh, you know, weighed uh, consideration that you know, what would happen is if that plaintiffs always claim firearms are defectively designed when they function exactly as designed and intended uh, and as this happened here. So Congress said product liability cases can go forward. But where the firearm discharge through a volitional act that is a crime, which is the case here, you cannot blame the manufacturer because the defect wasn't, the purported defect wasn't the cause of the injury. It was the volitional act person who's responsible volitionally, you know, they pulled the trigger on purpose. They are responsible. And that really is the point of the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. It's the person mishandling the firearm, who is responsible for the injury, not the manufacturer that made a legal product that was not defective and sold it lawfully. So I suspect that this case will not stand up on appeal when it gets to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And if it does, it could very well be the first uh, Second Amendment-related case that Justice Amy Coney Barrett uh, will hear when she is uh, elevated to the Supreme Court later this month, as I am highly confident she will. Absolutely. Um, and what would this mean, Larry, if the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act were to be declared unconstitutional? What would that mean for the firearms industry? And what would that mean for gun control advocates? It, will, it would bring on a new wave of frivolous, reckless lawsuits that are politically motivated designed to bankrupt and shutter the industry or force the industry through litigation expenses and judgments to capitulate to the gun control measures that the Congress and the state legislatures and the American people do not support. The Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act was enacted in 2005 
by a bipartisan majority in both the House and the Senate to put a stop to the wave of lawsuits that began in the mid to late 1990s by groups, by plaintiff's lawyers that had been involved in the tobacco litigation but did not see a big payday because they weren't involved in the AG settlement. Gun control organizations, namely the Brady Center and others, this predates the the Everytown group, which has got its own in-house law firm now pursuing lawsuits against the industry. And Democrat mayors, uh, with one exception, Rudy Giuliani, when he's the mayor of New York, suing the gun industry, blaming us for their failure to do anything about crime and trying to bankrupt the industry. Uh, it was known as regulation through litigation, to borrow the phrase, uh, former Clinton Treasury Secretary Robert Reich, that the industry was too small, it could not survive and defend itself against the onslaught of litigation. It would capitulate the settlements, like we saw with HUD and, and a handgun manufacturer. Uh, what they didn't realize is how dedicated the consumer is to protecting their rights and how uh, we would not capitulate. You know, was, there's an old saying, right, uh, Millions for defense, not a penny for tribute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we didn't, the industry did not capitulate. We fought these cases. We won these cases because really ultimately, Dan, what the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act does is codify in statute bedrock principles of common law, of tort law, that you are not responsible for the misuse of a legally sold non-defective product by some remote third party over whom you have no control. So how is a manu- how is uh, Ford, for example, responsible when somebody uses their product and goes out and drinks and drives and harms somebody else? Ford is not responsible any more than Smith and Wesson or Glock or any manufacturer is responsible when a firearm is, let's say, stolen from somebody's house and 10 years later is used to commit a crime on the streets of Washington, D.C., or L.A. or Chicago or Baltimore or some other place where Democrat mayors have failed to address crime in their cities. And that's really what some of these lawsuits were all about. I mean, they were going after the manufacturers basically because they're selling firearms. uh, And in some cases, again, through the illicit market, through theft uh, or or straw purchases, uh, you know, these products are ending up in the hands of criminals. They're turning around and they're blaming the gun manufacturers basically saying, well, if you weren't making guns, then criminals couldn't get a hold of guns. They, what they want is to destroy the industry and with it the Second Amendment. Because if there is no firearms industry, then your constitutionally protected right to keep in bear becomes a mere illusion. It's not something you can actually exercise because there won't be an industry to make the products available to you. Larry Keene, Senior Vice President, General Counsel of the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Thank you so much for coming on the program today. It's good talking with you, and uh, look forward to doing this again very soon. Always a pleasure to spend time with you. I appreciate uh, Larry being with us on the program, and we will continue following uh, this case out of Pennsylvania, giving any updates uh, as they become available. Right now, though, let's get to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We will start there uh, with a story out of New York State. Albany Times Union reporting suspect and killing of 11-year-old have been released from jail in June. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, kind of problematic here in uh, Albany, New York, one of many cities around the uh, state 
that um, have seen uh, an increase in a violent crime. According to the Albany Times Union, the uh, 20-year-old man charged with fatally shooting an 11-year-old boy in Troy, New York, earlier this month, had been released from jail in June after he was being held on robbery, weapons, and reckless endangerment charges. Uh, Jacque Brown has a lengthy criminal history dating back to at least 2016 that includes uh, arrest for a shooting, as well as assaults, robbery, and larceny charges, according to court records. Uh, but he was set free uh, back in June, where he was being held uh, on robbery, weapons, and reckless endangerment charges because he had not been indicted within 45 days of his arrest last October. Yeah. So this isn't a case of a, a plea deal uh, that uh, set loose this criminal. This is a, a case, honestly, of the uh, prosecutor there not being able to secure an indictment uh, in time. And a lot of questions, I think, remain uh, about why that is the case, why this prosecutor was not able to obtain an indictment. Now, part of it may be because of the uh, coronavirus closures. You know, we had uh, uh, courts that were basically shut down uh, from March, you know, through, and in some cases, I think uh, courts are still operating on a very limited schedule. Uh, but again, this arrest took place last October, so the indictment should have actually been handed down before the coronavirus closures ever took place. Uh, just a reminder, again, that, um, you know, police can make arrests, but it's up ultimately to the prosecutor in many cases uh, to ensure that these cases actually go forward and uh, individuals face charges. Now, on to our armed citizen story, Aberdeen, Washington where uh, police are looking for a suspect after an incident like the uh, vast majority of defensive gun uses in the country. This one did not involve a, a trigger being pulled. Basically, you had a, a property owner uh, go over to uh, the property that they owned uh, to check, make sure that it was secure. When he got there, found that the uh, front door had been kicked in, apparently. Uh, so the property owner, who is a concealed carry holder, uh, was there on the property when another man shows up with a baseball bat. The guy with the baseball bat goes after the uh, homeowner. That is when the uh, property owner drew his firearm, backed away. Uh, at that point, Aberdeen police arrived on the scene. The uh, guy with the baseball bat took off out of the back of the home. Still hasn't been caught. The uh, concealed carry holder, uh, be perhaps because he had his uh, firearm there and was able to display his firearm, uh, not injured by the uh, bat-wielding intruder. Uh, everybody safe and sound, unfortunately, including the intruder, who uh, hopefully will be taken into custody here before long. Uh, police say that they did remove multiple squatters uh, from the home, and they do know who the suspect is, by the way. They say that the uh, suspect is well-known uh, to police. He's now wanted for assault and burglary charges. And again, hopefully an arrest is made here uh, very soon. Uh, finally today, our good deed of the day from Howard County, Maryland, where a police officer saved the life of a 15-year-old uh, who was choking just a few days ago. Officer Jason Gago got a call uh, in Laurel, Maryland, for a report that the 15-year-old uh, was having trouble breathing. Uh, he was informed that the boy has autism and is uh, nonverbal. He was also told that the boy may be choking on a piece of food. Uh, the boy had begun turning blue. He had stopped breathing. Gago performed the Heimlich maneuver. After several minutes, the boy began coughing, eventually coughed up the food, started to breathe normally, taken to a hospital, uh, but it checked out just fine. He is uh, okay. 
the uh, Howard County Police Department uh, said in a Facebook post, quote, in some cases, officers arrive to a call before paramedics and must perform life-saving measures. We commend Officer Gago on his excellent police work in this case. So in the right place at the right time, we'll able to do the right thing. Officer Gago there in uh, Howard County, Maryland, we thank you, sir, for your very, very good deed. That is, unfortunately, all the time that we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program. One one kind of personal slash professional note before we uh, get out of here. Um, you may have seen, if you follow me on Twitter, at Cam Edwards, uh, I, I mentioned yesterday that I am uh, very pleased to announce that uh, I have been named to the Board of Directors for the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the lobbying wing of the Second Amendment Foundation. Uh, and I do want to thank Alan Gottlieb, who's been my guest here on the program many, many times for the uh, nomination. Looking forward to uh, serving on the board of the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms and continuing uh, to uh, advance and protect and support our Second Amendment rights. So uh, thank you for all of the uh, well wishes. Uh, a number of other uh, individuals uh, named to the board of directors of the uh, Second Amendment Foundation as well. Uh, you can find all that information at saf.org. And uh, in the meantime, we'll be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information, including, as I said, a lot of talk about the uh, first presidential debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you never miss a program. Also, you can subscribe to Bearing Arms Cam and Company at Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, be free. And we'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company.